When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get your ducks in a row and let me know. Let me know when they're in a row. Mine are as ro- I I have like seven open tabs right now, and I that's about as uh, <laughs> that's about as well organized as it's going to be. I might I might retweet it with the picture you sent me of Lena Dunham at the computer. Um, oh yeah. I also I have to know. Do you think that's Do you think that's real? Is it? It must be photoshopped. Like she's not looking at that, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't think she's looking at what's on those screens, no. But, like, if you told me that she was, I would also believe you. Like, I feel like I'm very susceptible to deep fakes yeah. and other such things. You're susceptible to deep fakes. Yeah. You, you need a media literacy class. I, I Like, okay, I would consider myself a pretty media literate person. I just don't. Like, if a deepfake is funny, I'm sorry, I am going to enjoy it. Like, I know that's probably not great for the civic process or whatever, but. Um, no, I, I think um, I appreciate it. Have you seen that? I mean, it's not really a deepfake. It's more of um, a traditional cartoon, let's say. But, like, have you seen that video of Hillary Clinton and Madonna dancing to, like, Girl Gone Wild? no <laughs> okay i think i i will have to find it after um it's obviously pre 2016 like it's just one of those things that's aged like milk but i think about it all the time oh my god the song like like a girl gone wild that song yeah and they're like doing choreo like full choreo to it but i mean they are like they are cartoon people it's just it's really in the okay, actually, cartoon as we're as we're talking Wrong. about it, it's sounding more familiar. Ugh. Aged like milk. I was thinking about that phrase literally yesterday, actually. I mean, so many things have. No, it's also such an ungenerous phrase. Like, you know, I, I feel like it started because people say, like, men age like wine, women age like milk. Is, is that what it started with? I, That's I think crazy. So. I know, and just hearing it like milk, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> no, I mean, that just so like loaded when you put it in that context especially too just I, like it's I'm so sick sure that's it. okay i'm gonna look up age like milk and see what comes up and then and then we're gonna start i mean yeah we, mu- we must <laughs> um, okay <no. laughs> this will be an off off pod convo um but welcome to girls room we'll be unpacking a very foundational text of the 2010s which is of course hbo's girls I'm Julia Gray, and with me I have my incredible co-host, Drew Haskins. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, Julia. I am so happy to be here to unpack one of the truly uh, defining texts of my life and our share, our lives in general. Our shared life. I, yeah. Honestly, me too. I feel like it. it's just such an important <laughs> body of work 
um, if I if I may say, I feel like it's important to mm-hmm. the millennial generation and just something that I don't know couldn't be made today, honestly, for for mul- multiple reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's I was I mean, we'll get into the specifics of it in a shortly, but I was really struck by both how of a time the show itself is like it really does feel like a period piece but the i mean it's still funny years later but you can see the sort you know the the complexities like make themselves very apparent pretty immediately absolutely i mean i would love to hear just to start out like where were you when girls dropped like spiritually physically were you a fan from the go what what's your girl's origin story Okay, so we, I think, I mean, we have pretty similar, like, temporal and location backgrounds for this. Um, for people who are, who don't know, Julie and I went to middle school and high school together in Potomac, Maryland. And we were ju- juniors in high school when this show came out. So I was like, <sighs> I mean, it was like a very fraught period, like pre-college, like, really wishing I were an adult like way sooner than I actually was like getting to be there and I was watching so much tv at that point too just because it was also it was also just like way easier to watch buzzy tv back then because there weren't like 500 shows a month coming out um but I was really excited for it because it Mm -hmm. seemed like kind of controversial and like cool in New York and I was really obsessed with like Gossip Girl and like Gawker, like old Gawker and all that stuff. So I, I was just so excited and ready to be like way more urbane than I actually was. What is your story with this? No, I'm honest. I have a very similar story, honestly. I feel like living in um, Potomac, you're kind of, I don't know, no one is interested in culture or being a writer like Hannah was um, or just like going to art events like Marnie was and I I definitely kind of looked up to them even though it was this depressive quirky world I thought it was I immediately liked it and I thought I need to live in New York you know some people have sex in the city as their I need to live in New York show and mine was girls um again as depressing as like the world she depicts is it is it does have kind of quirky glam to it had you seen uh, yeah 100 percent. um had you seen sex in the city before girls oh yeah i was a huge sex in the city fan as well but it that kind of just seemed so far from my reality and i couldn't you know i didn't relate to any of it i was just this beautiful new york fantasy um so i maybe that was my pre i need to live live in new york show i kind of already knew new york was this fascinating ground <laughs> but definitely i i went from sex in the city to girls it was a seamless transition um lena even said she said girls is about young women who came up watching that show and who came to new york with sex in the city as their paradigm um and and i quote and how much harsher their wake-up call was because of that. I know, which is, like, so spot-on. You know, we even see oh a direct reference to Sex and the City in the first episode, which we will absolutely get into later. Yeah, like, I don't think you can do a show about four girlfriends in New York without referencing Sex and the City, especially sure. since it's on the same network and everything, too. Like, uh-huh. I... 
I had watched Girls before Sex in the City crazily. I actually had not I had not seen Sex in the City in full until 2022, which is like so bad gay of me, but I I <laughs> That's so surprised. Sex in the City is I like I I don't want to spoil things, but like I think Girls is the best show of the past decade. Sex in the City is definitely not mm-hmm. at the same like mm, let's say like quality caliber. But it is a much easier watch because it is it's so frothy and fizzy compared to like Lena Dunham's New York, which is like, you know, distressingly closer to like what real New York and like just real city life is in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think it might be helpful to talk about the context. Um, you know, before we get into the episode proper, like it's 2012, so 10 years ago. And I feel like even just over those 10 years, the world and entertainment has changed so much. You know, people in 2012 are still proudly identifying as feminists, you know, like the hipster, hipster isn't a dirty word. It's actually kind of cool thing. And this messy, charming girl archetype is still taking form. Yeah. 100% 100% and like I, I you can just see like the looks and the fashions are very like curated boho mm-hmm. like studied poverty almost like everyone in this That's first episode looks a little shabby <laughs> um except Marnie but I mean we'll get to like the archetypes and stuff but it is um I guess like there has always been this kind of like performative like boho stuff like throughout history like i mean even like going back to like the mm-hmm. 1800s with like la bohème and then i mean rent obviously is all about like artifice and that like sort of like lower class creative class but this Sh- definitely mm-hmm. yeah shabby sheet for well. sure but like, yeah it, it I, is very I, like chic sorry. you know mm-hmm. yeah like Hannah's outfits the entire season are very um, shabby chic, very, I can't think of, there was this website where like a kind of a pinup style website where girls used to buy clothes. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you probably don't remember, but it reminds me of that. (laughs) Sound off in the comments if you remember. Um, But (laughs) the the anthropology girls, like that Mm -hmm. is kind of the Hannah Horvath style is like, full just, like, anthropology off the rack. It's very anthro. Um, But, yeah, 2012, like, I don't know, entertainment was still twee at the time, and we saw, like, High Maintenance premiere that same year. And it was just a a kind of earnestness that I feel like we don't see as much in pop culture. One, Yeah, just to give a kind of, like, a vibe of the time. It was, like, post-Tumblr, pre-Instagram aesthetics. But let's see. I think we can start talking about, like, how did how do you think the pilot aged? So I thought the pilot itself aged pretty well. Um, like, if we're talking about the actual like, quality of the writing and the quality of the acting, like, this is a pilot that sets up the premise of the show so well, sets up all the character archetypes so well, is screamingly funny at points, 
and mm-hmm. you can just tell like they have they have a really good formula and a really good chemistry already put together um i mean i like lena dunn just is such a singular genius at like observing human behavior we should just get that out of the way right now because i feel like i'm gonna have to come up with new ways to say that every episode of this podcast or this live show (laughs) no i completely agree um rolling stone put it really well in their review right after the podcast called her larry david's sicko granddaughter which is like so on point it's so larry david it's i would even say woody allen i know that's kind of like a probably not viewed as a compliment but i i mean but like i get i get what those comparisons do like i mean at the time like he's definitely persona non grata now and has been for a really long time but his he was such a good like artistic photographer of like just New York dynamics and she's doing the same thing. And I think that you like, you kind of have to be a native New Yorker in order to do all that. And uh, I mean, the four main girls are all native New Yorkers. We didn't even get into like how all of these girls, like the real life girls, like grew up in sort of like nep. I mean, they were like Nepo babies before everyone was kind of talking about it. Right or even just like having this different view of adults and relationships um, from an early age and how that kind of shaped them as people. Yeah. Uh, Another thing we'll get into later, just the different kind of girls relationships and what they represent. But yeah, I, I think we should just start talking about the episode. Yes, let's. So it, it starts off on a scene that for whatever reason I thought happened way further into the show, but was pleasantly surprised to happen at the beginning. Um, Lena Dunham's character, Hannah Horvath is at dinner with her parents who are played by like the truly excellent Becky and Baker and Peter Scolari. And they're visiting her in New York uh, at dinner at a very nice restaurant. And they cut her off financially after two years out of grad or grad two years after graduating at Oberlin. Mm -hmm. They say we can't keep bankrolling your groovy lifestyle, which I think (laughs) such a, my parents basically told me that as well. Yes. (laughs) It was a little sooner after graduation, but (laughs) it's, and it's so spot on. Like it's just the privilege of thinking that your parents are going to pay for you to get, $13 cocktails for the rest of your life so you can write your book (laughs) and live in this like what appears to be like a pretty palatial Brooklyn apartment (laughs) like Greenpoint no less yeah it seems um I mean I I cannot speak to like actually living in New York in 2012 because that was more of a fantasy of mine than like anything that's ever approached reality but I like definitely it, the the like kind of setup and set dressing of the show is it kind of is not really like the poverty like the studied poverty that everything else is like they all seem like they're doing okay yeah and definitely by design um yeah. and yeah the rest of the episode kind of shows Hannah grappling with this the fact that she no longer has her parents money to bankroll her groovy lifestyle this yeah. also has 
one of our one of our favorite lines that we talked about a lot before even talking about this episode, which is, I really think I might be the voice of my, voice of my generation or a voice of a generation. It it's just it's so perfect. Like I I think like the defining line from the show. Um, I completely agree. Like I can see why this this pilot got greenlit on that line alone. Like it's just so cutting and like it establishes a character in just one sentence. Like it, it's 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 true genius. Um, do you think Lena Dunham is the voice of our generation? Um, well, okay. I think this line is interesting for a few reasons. Um, one, because yes, I do. Like, I think she really is the, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying she was stating it by having her character say that. I would not say that. But I I do think she is this millennial voice this distinctly millennial voice um i even like millennial gen z cusp because you know now you see every young person kind of feeling like they have a story worth sharing and she kind of predicted that social media point of view and uh maybe is a proof that sometimes it works out <laughs> because she is a genius and really laid out the millennial privilege that i feel like um, categorizes our generation. She's also so good at capturing like corporate jargon speak and wellness speak in a way that like, there are a lot of comedians who are super in vogue right now and have been for decades, like, or the past decade, like Kate Berlant and John Early and Jacqueline Novak, who are so good at doing this too. But like, I mean, the the line that one of the lines that really made me like scream out laughing was when she is trying to get a promotion and ends up getting gaslit into quitting by her boss, um, who says uh, Joylin knows Photoshop as a justification for keep like giving her like the full time role. And that is just so funny and so like believably 2012 and like something that would have been said back then it just it's harsh and and what do you think said now yeah like like, i'm completely like i name arbitrary skill sets that like for whatever reason completely arbit um or arbitrate like our class identities just crazy seriously i feel like um, the show does a really good job of talking about this, st- trying to start your career and like not having any money and just the kind of self-debasement of being in your early 20s and trying to get hired and be hireable. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, the one thing about this pilot that sort of strained credulity for me is interning for two full years with no pay which seemed wild to me but then I remember that um have you seen the one season Bravo show Gallery Girls no but I I remember hearing about it and seeing like it's photos it is definitely like a good companion piece to HBO's girls in that it also kind of tracks this like 
striving, delusional, creative class of like young Brooklyn Knights and Manhattan Knights. But there is a girl on that show who's been interning unpaid at a gallery for like 18 months. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I guess in 2012, you could get away with that because people wouldn't be complaining about it on social media for like viral outrage. Yeah, sure, sure. It just, it also, something like that. I mean, also just kind of gets into the privilege that they're talking about on the show, you know, like Mm -hmm. the fact that she could go two years uh, on her parents' money and, you know, interning for free. Um, We should also talk about the relationships and how she kind of shows these different kinds of unsuccessful love matches. So she spends some time in the first episode juxtaposing her friend Marnie who is smothered by her boyfriend Charlie and thinks his touch is like a weird uncle's she says <laughs> and such a good line so like oh, heartbreaking and then meanwhile Hannah is obsessed with Adam who is played by smoking hot weirdo Adam Driver and Adam does not care if she lives or dies but Hannah is so obsessed with him and I just think it's funny the explore it's something she explores throughout the series like the different kinds of unsuccessful love matches and the power imbalances in these relationships yeah i mean she she's always been such a good cataloger of unhealthy power dynamics i feel like she was almost ahead of her time in that way because we didn't really start talking about it in a broader societal sense especially within relationships until Mm -hmm. like I mean, a little before the Me Too movement. I don't want to give her, like, all the credit for that. But, like, you can see something, like, I don't God strike me down for bringing this up, a cat person. Mm -hmm. And, like, something like cat person is so indebted to Lena Dunham. Sure, yeah. No, that's a really good point. Even just the tone of it all. I would like to talk about Adam Driver really quickly because he is – I mean, in 2022, easily the breakout star of this cast, which if you had told me that, yeah, like if you had told me that on April 15th, 2012, that Adam Driver would be one of the world's biggest movie stars, I would have taken one look at his haircut and just like laughed until my brain leaked out my ears. Like it's bananas. Okay. You say that, but I think he was... He kind of predated the whole uh, dorky, hot, weird, hot thing. Like, you know, everyone's obsessed with Nathan Fielder now. He yeah. He's undeniably hot, in my opinion, and just kind of looks I, like a freak. He's ugly hot. I think he is. He definitely is a sexy guy. Like, he has sex appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is... Yeah, it just, I don't know. Like, I think they do a really good job of making him this, like, inscrutable fuckboy, especially with, like, the aesthetic choices he makes. Like, Mm -hmm. high-waisted carpenter pants, shirtless, like, a click five bowl cut. It's really, it's, it's a series of choices that is just, like, this is a weird dude. Yeah. Whereas, like, you look at, um... Charlie, who's played by Christopher Abbott, who's also gone on to, like, a really good, like, indie film career, super hot. But he is definitely, like, a very specific takedown of 
kind of your like proto Brooklyn male hipster, like pitchfork reader, like tote bag carrying mm-hmm. vampire weekendy kind of guy. Definitely. Yeah. Two, two flavors of um, hot hipster guy. Also Ray, another, a third flavor. Yeah. Ray. I, I, I love Ray. <laughs> I think I Alex Karpovsky is so, so hot. He, yeah, he's he might actually be my favorite my favorite man on the show, um, but yeah, I I love them all. I think also the dialogue they give like Adam and Charlie is really great. Yeah, like she's she's definitely good at writing for men too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important to note if people had like don't remember she wrote directed and obviously starred in this pilot like as a 24 year old that's unheard of <laughs> like and it's a really well directed <laughs> show too yeah. yeah i i think your point is astute that yeah she's really good at writing for men i am curious about that but we'll get more into them later i think we should talk about meeting the girls. Uh, the <laughs> girls. So, I mean, on the surface, they're all kind of these, like, stock archetypes. Like, Hannah is the struggling creative writer, but also sort of like a delusional... They're all sort of delusional narcissists, but, like, Marnie is the uptight type A prom queen type. Mm-hmm. Jess says this, like, Euro boho free spirit. Mm-hmm. Just got and back. Shoshana is Shoshana. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I think I immediately took to Shoshana as this like Jewish, insufferable, sentient, juicy couture tracksuit. Like she, I think she's the funniest character. Oh, one hundred percent, and. I mean, she, out of the four girls, she's the only somewhat likable one. Sure. Um, I do think that her Sex in the City monologue <laughs> is the funniest piece of writing in the pilot. Like, What did she say? She's like, um, all I remember <laughs> is sometimes the Samantha comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the big capper on it. It is uh-huh. so, like it is something that kind of girl would say, like she's playing this like character of this really like sophisticated mm-hmm. New York city girl. But like the pilot doesn't really make super queer that she is like a junior or a senior at NYU still she's in college. So it's, I, it's just this, this girl who's trying to like pretend she's a lot more with it than she actually is. But that could be like really annoying or condescending, but Zosha Mamet is just a very phenomenal actor mm-hmm. and like I one of the better comedians on the show. Like I think she just sells it so well. Definitely. Um yeah. and yeah, she might be the most likable, but I think they're all kind of designed to be like different flavors of unlikable. Like yeah. Lena is maybe trying to show how these privileged white women in their 20s, especially those like striking out in the city on their own. And, you know, her aunt is paying for her $2,100 a month rent. <laughs> how she calls these- it a bachelorette pad, which also yes. really made me <laughs> laugh. Like, 
but I think she's kind of showing how these women are like hateable by nature and kind of poking at her, poking fun at herself and, yeah, you know, letting the audience laugh at her and her privileged friends. 100%. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's very sympathetic in a way. Like she doesn't make any of these women out and out like monstrous, except for one moment that I thought was like, well, we'll get, we'll get to in a bit, but I mean, she's, she's very good at like kind of nuanced shades. Like you sort of pity them a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I think we're also just like, we've seen so many comedies since 2012 where everyone is like super cuddly and super friendly and like people are kind of afraid to like make people villains anymore. Yeah. Oh, well definitely Trump era entertainment is certainly no villains and especially when you're depicting women you know you have to be very careful that you don't make a bitch you know (laughs) yeah especially I mean when you're making a popular show like girls was really popular which is I wonder if it came out today if it would be as well received I don't think it would be well received if it was like identical to the product we see now like this is just so of its time and place like Mm -hmm. especially the casting i mean there's i was there was one character of color with a speaking line in the whole pilot and it was joy lynn oh my god right he's like asking for like smart water or something yeah oh yeah she's like can you get me a smart water and a coffee or something which is also just funny (laughs) yeah um yeah that definitely didn't age well and I think even at the time people were saying like where where are the black and brown people yeah and we'll get into in future episodes of girls room we will get into how borderline recklessly Lena Dunham dealt with those critiques but um yeah Definitely. Yeah, this this season she doesn't really do much with it. No, and I think it's it's a near perfect season of television. I will say I, but yeah, we'll we'll get into it in later episodes how, yeah. how she deals with it and confronts it. But yeah, I don't know. I I think making these women so unlikable and kind of just these annoying beauties was a really sharp move especially i feel like people stopped watching the show because they felt like oh well i don't really like any of these people but i think that you know you you don't really want to like people in entertainment or i don't you know i like complicated characters yeah me too like i mean when i was doing my sex in the city watch earlier this year i didn't really like any of them at Mm -hmm. certain points like i mean that show was you know it has a reputation for being really like candy-coated and fun and silly but like those women are so complex and and um like unlikable in a lot of ways too and I don't really know why girls was wasn't afforded the same rope Mm -hmm. that sex in the city was but yeah I don't think people were talking about how Carrie sucks until years after it went off the air and maybe that's just like us you know, as, like, a new generation of TV watchers, like, we're watching these shows in a different frame. Mm-hmm. 
with di- with different like a different lexicon around how we engage with like complex characters and women especially but um yeah very very odd i don't know i cannot i actually can't think of a tv show that came out in recent history where there's an unlikable woman actually no that's a lie an unlikable uh main character is a woman yeah like i um which is bad for women (laughs) it is it no it's bad for women and it's bad for like tv and comedy like i Shit's creek i recently i guess last year at this point i watched it from the beginning again and that show got super 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 cuddly and everyone was like a sweetie pie by like season three of six or seven so like that's not like a long arc or whatever but that first season the female characters especially are pretty callous and unlikable but i think it's just it's like the parks and recification and ted lassoification of comedy like you just like every, all, everything gets like kind of wrinkled out in a way that's not as a uh, yeah even complex even parks, even parks and rec i feel like people talk about Leslie Nope, uh, Amy Poehler's character, saying that she started out as this super unlikable character, and then as the show went on, they made, they softened her. Yeah, I mean, I can I sort of agree with that to an extent, but she was never really that unlikable. Just kind of annoying. Annoying. Sure. Yeah. But, I I wasn't. I guess I that was a background show for me where I like kind of watched it, but not yeah. really. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think I'd love to talk about the end of the episode. Um, yes. So it ends with Hannah. She's high on opium tea and she's asking her parents for a loan. So she's saying, I know you, I know we had this entire conversation earlier about how you're cutting me off, but how about that doesn't happen? And she's giving, does she give them her, the whole essay collection or the first essay and she's like read this like just please help me out so i can finish writing she she says she has like five of 13 done or something like that (laughs) and like she gives them like six handwritten pages of material it looks like in the hotel and then asks for thirteen hundred dollars a month for the next two years which is like (laughs) astronomical they they laugh in her face which i think is you know they're they're acting as the audience here she's yeah she has this huge ask and she doesn't you know her face isn't moving she doesn't find it outrageous um and i think that also just kind of speaks to how the show is you know about privilege and desperation and kind of wanting to be this special person who gets awarded these special um privileges and i don't know i mean it turns out she is she is special and she does have an interesting voice but i don't know even now that i'm reflecting on the show do they ever reveal if her writing is good (laughs) so i this is where i have to just give important context that i have not rewatched this show since it originally aired because this i think this show is a work of true genius Mm -hmm. that 
is so uncomfortable to watch and so cringy. And like, I just have very specific memories of it making me feel <laughs> bad. Sorry that that's not like the most nuanced word that like, I've just been scared to rewatch. I don't remember. Um, I think it, I like they, she, she has like various professional successes, but I'm not sure if we ever actually see it like bear fruit on the page. Yeah. I I feel like maybe it's suggested that it's good, but I think it'll be interesting for us to continue to watch and Yeah. I mean she go, she goes to Iowa at one point with That's true. That's a okay. And that's no, like that's as good as it gets. Yeah. So but I do think it's an interesting kind of study on this this young person who really wants to be special and really wants to have her voice be heard yeah i mean it this whole scene is kind of the first surfacing of my favorite lena dunham quote in general which is a real world quote from one of her various apologies which i'm sure we will get into like (laughs) further down the line but um my words came from a delusional girl persona that i often inhabit um yeah (laughs) just the delusional girl persona is I feel like my entire life is the delusional girl persona and this scene is very delusional girl yes it's another thing that is an amazing quote is that from the cut interview uh I think it's she literally just apologized for something and I think it's from 2013 2014 like um, there was a time from like 2012 to 2015 that Lena Dunham was apologizing for something every week. <laughs> oh my God. That's true. No one would leave her alone. I mean, she also did some pretty, uh, uh heinous things. Apologies. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, we, we may have to surface, um, that Twitter account, uh, Lena Dunham apologizes at some point and, uh, just go through the way back machine and try to figure out, uh, what the 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 apology of the week was for <laughs> and really, the time. That, that'll be a good segment apology of the week yeah but yeah how, how did you take this this final scene so the thing or, I, guess, I don't think it's the final scene actually but it does feel like a, a closer it, it the the kicker to the final scene is her taking the money that her parents had left in the morning for the tip for the hotel maid. Mm-hmm. In addition to the like $20 that they give her for cab fare to get home. And that was so just rewatching that like 10 years later, like that is such an, a shockingly unlikable thing to have your ostensible protagonist do in the first episode. Mm-hmm. that I, I it just it's a very bold choice and something that like of course this girl would do yeah like and so not self-aware at all and it I mean it forced me though to recon to consider like if I were in that situation and I saw the two envelopes like what would I do and I don't think I would take the money but like Lena's writing is good enough that it does make you sort of think about okay, like, I'm in my mid-20s, like, I, like, would like to be, you know, in a more, like, secure place than I am. Like, what would I do to just, like, get ahead even marginally? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, yeah, I I had the same thought. Like, 
oh, that's a horrible weight. I might have done that at an earlier age. Yeah. They, they, I mean, at least for me, I think she does a good job of, even though she's so unlikable, kind of making me feel like, oh, I see myself in her. <laughs> yeah. Like, so what what girl are you? Like, are you a Hannah or were you kind of finding yourself drawn to someone else? I am. I'm unfortunately a Hannah. I feel like, I mean, as, as a, (laughs) what did, what did we say? Like desperate, desperation girl, delusional girl, delusional Um, girl. I, I, at least in my early twenties and maybe kind of still find myself, um, in, in delusional girl mindsets and having to, you know, claw myself out. Um, and even just like her, her obsessions with these guys, I I have been known to obsess over a guy. I I just wanting to be a writer in the big city and feeling like you have a voice and (laughs) I'm, I'm a, I'm a Hannah, unfortunately. I'm also a Carrie. So. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a Carrie. I, God, with the girls, it's tough because Rewatching this pilot, I would have never self-described as a Jessa, which I think is the most psycho one you can self-identify with at this stage in the game. Continue, please. (laughs) But I do feel sort of like a Jessa as someone who can be like very callous and like is very like flighty and inveterate name dropper with stuff and that is uh, something I've worked on like extensively in my life but like working in entertainment for four years was not you know great for that um (laughs) but I also like felt like very like Shosh-esque as well um just feel like feeling very like eager and naive in many ways and like bubbly but I think when you add Jessa and Shoshana together, you get Hannah. So maybe I'm a Hannah. That's a <laughs> that's really a long, that's a, a long equation, but I I I now that we're talking about it, I feel like I might be a Hannah Shoshana cusp because um, I do have that like kind of jappy sensibility. Um, yeah. But I feel like there are a lot of self-described you... Marnies in the world, and Can that is the one you. I do not identify with even a little bit. Yeah, I don't either. I I think she, we texted about this before, but I think Marnie is kind of the secret straight man, you know, like she's a lot of the time saying something that is so real and she's this uptight, annoying control freak, but she's also just calling everyone out on their shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really like, what what did you say? Jessa meets Shosh equals Hannah? Yeah. That's that's on my chalkboard right now. <laughs> I love it. And yeah, I you can have the yarn on the the <laughs> the, like, the Charlie board. Day picture, like furiously exactly. pointing to the board. Yeah, um, I, I feel like Hannah is too neurotic, though. Like, there's not enough neuroses between those two. Although Shoshana is neurotic, but in a, in a in a way that's not at all inward looking you know <laughs> yeah I think my my neuroses are definitely like of the Shoshana variety like I am com- like chronic people pleaser and that is like Shoshana to a fault totally but like the studied not people pleasing of a Jessa 
Yeah. Oh my the, way, uh, the annoying so way in which I just articulated that is very Hannah of me. So, <laughs> like, what what are, you know, we contain multitudes. Um, I think we should also rank the girls. Um, okay. In terms of, for just for this episode, in terms of their kind of, um, how, how should we rank them? What should our scale be? Likeability or just, uh, like, power? I mean, to put it in 2012 terms, I think vibes. Like, I, I made my ranking on vibes for sure. I, I really like that. Um, okay. I can go first. Okay. I think Marnie is on top for me because, like I said, secret straight man, she's really, you know, calling everyone out, which is annoying trait, but also, like, they <laughs> – she says something about how Jess is, of course, going to be late and, like, wearing some – like fabulous garment where she she can't remember where she bought it or whatever yeah <laughs> so I, I I think she has a lot of funny lines in this episode and is just I don't know maybe revealed herself as my secret favorite secret favorite character and then under Marnie I think I have Shosh because she's I don't know hilarious and adorable in this episode and like you said the sex in the city monologue it was just can't be beat and then, and then we have Jessa, um, who, again, perfectly annoying and just classic Jessa, showing up late to the dinner party and I think talking to Charlie, Marnie's boyfriend, about how since he's such a francophile, he needs to go to Paris. And <laughs> I don't know. her lines in that episode are are hilarious and then hannah i think is on the bottom because of everything we discussed you know she just she's begging her parents for money and stealing the maid's tip and just an unflattering portrait of our girl yeah i i think that that is a very good ranking mine's i would say pretty similar i guess like I think Shosh wins the week by default. She is just, like you said, very like or like hilarious and bubbly and like clueless, but not she's not embarrassing herself. Um Jessa was my number two because she I mean she like you know successfully projects the cool girl image to everyone. Her only hiccup this week is an unwanted pregnancy, which is a weird way. And I that's using the word hiccup to describe that is not <laughs> a word I would maybe do again. But um, uh, we'll get to that in the next episode. Um, then Marnie, because she just like the vibes with her boyfriend are absolutely rancid. Her hair looks great this episode. It almost always does every episode. Allison Williams, queen, true queen. Um, and yeah, Hannah obviously is at the bottom, like tr- uh, just a litany of embarrassments, um, mm-hmm. completely reprehensible, uh, zero girl boss energy to be found whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, it just, it, it was, it was really bad for her. It was really bad for her. I think we're going to have to actively fight to not have Hannah at the bottom every week. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't... I would love to be proven wrong. Um, if Hannah can at least get third out of the four some weeks, like that, that is a victory for Hannah. I mean, actually, no, I, I'm, as I'm reflecting on these episodes, I feel like we can, she can, she can pull her weight and get to the top. 
I will say most of the cringe memories I have from watching this show the first time around are Marnie-related moments. I was just going to say, definitely uh, Marnie. There are some Marnie moments that I I may have to at least play on double speed. Yeah. When no, we I'm get right to there with you. Oh my god. I mean, one one immediately comes to mind. I feel like mm-hmm. maybe the same one or the the singing. Yeah, uh, I mean, which time? <laughs> which time? <laughs> Good point. Oh. oh god. Um god. But I I'm really excited to get started with the series and I think next week we'll probably cover um the next two or three episodes. What do you think? Two two episodes or three we can decide on it i was looking at the episode summaries i think two maybe but we can we can update people like midweek too so if you guys want to watch along i think that would be that'd be fruitful and you can write in the comment section we can have a real real round table discussion yeah and we will also be having some exciting guests on in future weeks so Next week, I think it'll probably be just us, but same time, same place. Yeah, it's uh, we we've really prepared a a fun show for y'all. So I'm um, thank you everyone for coming out tonight. Um, thank you. Guys. And uh, yeah, we're we're excited to have this crew of people on this very like unpleasant odyssey we've we've embarked on but it will be i mean this this is like one of the best shows of all time so it really is i'm thrilled to continue watching yes 100 percent. thank you guys so much and we'll also um release this as a podcast if you guys joined in late and want to listen to the whole thing yep thank you guys again and we'll see you next week great bye everyone bye